presented by Business Roundtable. Hey, good morning. I'm Playbook co-author Eugene Daniels. It's Friday, October 20th, 18 days since the House of Representatives had an elected speaker. It's Groundhog Day, as our producer called it just a bit ago. Today, the House will try again to do something about that. A vote is scheduled for 10 a.m. in what could be Congressman Jim Jordan's final shot at the gavel. Maybe. Probably. Possibly. The gist is that Jim Jordan doesn't seem any closer to 217 votes than he was yesterday. And his vote total might actually be headed in the wrong direction. So what happens now if he's short again? One possibility is that Patrick McHenry, the speaker pro tem, gets a temporary boost to his own authority. But that, too, seems currently to lack 217 votes. And McHenry has reportedly threatened to resign from the post if there is an attempt to extend his temporary speakership without a formal vote to expand his powers. Whew! Drama, y'all. For lots of juicy, detailed, and behind-the-scenes politicking, check out this morning's Playbook Deep Dive for my boy Ryan's interview with Representative Mike Lawler, one of the swing district Republicans who's not so on board with Jordan's bid. Matt Gates is, you know, the dog that caught the car. He didn't have a plan. He didn't have a plan for what would come next. I think he just assumed the conference would just, you know, fall in line and it'd be fine, and yay, I removed Kevin McCarthy. Also, in just about a couple of hours at 8 a.m., Jim Jordan's going to hold a press conference. And apparently, he's going to use this to use the bully pulpit to try and drum up some support for his bid as speaker before the vote happens today. And on Thursday night, President Biden gave his second ever Oval Office address to forcefully advocate for aiding both Israel and Ukraine. Joining me now to discuss the biggest takeaways from that is our national security reporter, Alex Ward. Alex, good morning. Hi, good morning. Happy to be here. We kind of knew what to expect from this speech. We've seen him be quite forceful over and over and over again. But interestingly enough, he did tie both Israel and Ukraine together. So what were the what were the biggest takeaways from you? You are right. This is the most Joe Biden speech to ever Joe Biden. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was just very open about, you know, American exceptionalism and it being the indispensable nation. And because of that, America had to come to Israel and Ukraine's defense here, which is why he pushed a massive bill that will go to Congress, expected to be at about $100 billion. Biden did not give a number, but that's the expected number. Um, mm-hmm. And basically said that the U.S. should be supporting them for the long haul, that, that if America basically backed away from its ally Israel and its partner Ukraine, that, you know, th- the conflict in the Middle East would get a lot worse. It could widen even and that Russia would eventually steamroll Ukraine and possibly go deeper into Europe. So uh, for Biden, he was actually trying to make somewhat of a financial case as well. Like we need to yeah. invest in these countries and their defense now because otherwise it could get more expensive for America later, not least – perhaps the inclusion of American troops. So that would be the worst case scenario. When you think about how this is supposed to be an entire package, how do you feel like the bill works? Does it does it work that way? Or are the are the politics too complicated? Or, or has the what's going on between Israel and Hamas at this point maybe changed some of the politics around Ukraine? Well, you're I mean, you're seeing Republicans already 
and you know backed by groups like the Heritage Foundation uh, Action and and groups like that. I mean, calling for a separation of the Ukraine and Israel bills, right? Uh, as of now, the expectation is, and this is before it's released later today, that it'll be sixty billion dollars for Ukraine. $10 billion for Israel, and then there'll be all their funding for Taiwan and border security stuff. So you're seeing a lot of Republicans, mostly Senate Republicans at this point, but definitely House Republicans as well, calling for an Israel vote and a Ukraine vote. The reason being, you could imagine an Israel vote would sail through with Democratic and Republican support, and the Ukraine one would take a bit more doing. And one major reason the Republicans want to do this is because it is popular and, and a growing popularity to not give money to Ukraine, but also it helps sort of separate the issues to not necessarily be, you know, legislatively tricked to support both. It feels like regardless of what happens or what is proposed for the Israel's defense here, it's going to basically sail through. There might be some naysayers, uh, but ultimately that is the surest bet. The Ukraine one is, and the Taiwan at, part of that and the border part of that, that's going to be the really tricky one down the line. It can only sail through if they get a Speaker of the House, but otherwise, (laughs) real simple stuff. You know, one of the things that President Biden has been really trying to do um, since October 7th is threading the needle between showing full support for our ally in Israel, but also you know, kind of warning Israel as it's thinking about invading Gaza and also wanting to show support for the Palestinian people. So talk to me a little bit of how he threaded that needle in the speech last night. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's hit the same three major talking points that he's hit since the war started on October 7th with Hamas's attack. The first is Israel has the right to defend itself and America will be behind it. Number two is no one wants this war to widen. And he's really talking about uh, not only the fight between Israel and Hamas growing wider, but also seeing Iran and its proxies, namely Hezbollah and Lebanon, getting involved and starting to fight Israel in the north, which would be a fight for Israel on on two fronts. The third one, and it's a point he hit a lot harder in this speech than in other times, was about the plight of the Palestinian people. Not mm-hmm. only no one wants to see civilians hurt in this conflict, reminding Israel that you know it is a democratic country and should act by democratic principles, but also reiterating his belief that there should be a two-state solution. So this is perhaps the most forceful on that spectrum, on that third talking point that Biden has been Mm -hmm. to date. But I think it's unmistakably clear that since the fighting has begun, those first two points have been hit a lot harder, and the administration in the day since has been trying to hit that third point a little bit more. And during that speech was, you know, its sort of greatest moment of that talking point. Yeah, lots of uh, criticism the administration has gotten for not focusing so much on that third point. So it seems like they're definitely um, adding, if not changing, course here. Thank you so much, Alex. Of course. And for your schedule today, the Senate is in. The House is like in, but like trying to work the drama out. Who knows? And on the other side of Pennsylvania Avenue, President Biden is going to welcome the leader of the European Council and European Commission to the White House for the second U.S.-EU summit since Biden took office. In the afternoon, he is going to head to a campaign reception. And in the evening, him and Dr. Joe Biden will leave D.C. and head to Rehoboth Beach for the weekend. I'm Eugene Daniels. Thanks for listening. America's status as the global leader in innovation is at risk. Key tax incentives for investment in the U.S. are being phased out, while other countries double down on domestic investment. 
Unless Congress fully reverses these tax increases on U.S. job creators, American businesses and workers will be at a competitive disadvantage. Congress, it's time to support American jobs and innovation. Restore essential business tax incentives. Learn more at BRT.org.